Hey friends, Alan Duty here, preaching pastor at New Life. We're delighted to bring you this sermon from our Sunday gathering. For more information or to support our ministry, visit us online at newlifecs.net. Thank you and enjoy the following message. Two seeds lay side by side in the fertile spring soil. The first seed said, I want to grow. I want to send my roots deep into the soil and thrust my sprouts up through the earth crust above me. I, I want to unfurl my tender buds like banners to announce the spring. I want to feel the warmth of the sun on my face and the blessing of the morning dews on my petals. And so she grew. The second seed said, I'm afraid if I don't send my roots into the ground below, I don't know what we'll encounter in the dark. And, and if I push through the hard soil above me, I might damage my fingers. And what if my buds open and a snail tries to eat them? What if I were to open my blossoms and a small child pulls me out of the ground? No, it is much better for me to wait until it's safe. And so she waited. A couple of weeks later, a yard hen scratching around in the early spring ground for food, found the waiting seed and promptly ate it. Why would I open our sermon with a fable? It is because Christianity has lost its teeth. It is like the seed that is afraid to grow. Christianity is, for many, is merely a series of meetings and events, a little fellowship, a little coffee, and we're good to go. There's no commitment, cause, or courage. And as a result, Christians get swallowed up by life. Taking risks is part of living by faith. Taking risks is how we grow in Christ-likeness. Taking risks is what impacts others for Christ. We are in the five-week midst of a five-week study entitled Imitate Me. This study has focused on exhorting like Barnabas, evangelizing like Paul, and discipling like Priscilla and Aquila. Today, we will focus on risking like Epaphroditus. Brothers and sisters, today's sermon is difficult for me for two reasons. First, 
I must confess that while I take a lot of risks, I struggle with the idol of security and tend to take on only those risks that don't threaten my financial security. Second, this sermon demands that I be emphatic. And given my tendency to be emphatic in my normal speech, I will do everything I can to not go over the top in this sermon. Know this, that this sermon has more profoundly impacted me and more profoundly challenged me than it will you. So with that qualification, let me introduce you to a Christian who took great risks for Christ. Epaphroditus was not an apostle like Paul, not an apostolic assistant like Timothy. We, in fact, don't know anything about his family, background, conversion, service to the churches, or even how long he had been a believer. But we do know that he took risks for Christ. Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippians to Rome to bring finances to Paul and to minister to Paul in any way. While engaged in getting to Rome and serving Paul, Epaphroditus became dangerously ill. His friends in Philippi heard about his illness and became alarmed. In, true, in turn, Epaphroditus learns that his friends are concerned about him. God graciously restores Epaphroditus' health, and Epaphroditus desires to return to the church which sent him in order to allay their fears over his health. And young people, there is no such thing as email, phone calls, and texts. So it would have been a six-week journey to return to Philippi. And Paul, in complete agreement, sends Epaphroditus back to Philippi, calling them to give Epaphroditus an appropriate welcome home. And Epaphroditus is most likely the one who carries the very letter we are studying this morning, Philippians, back to Philippi. As we look at the example of Epaphroditus, I am not asking you to be like Epaphroditus. Rather, I am challenging you to embrace the gospel as he embraced the gospel in order to become the person that Epaphroditus became. Our sermon focus this morning is I want you to contemplate how you can be a risk taker for Christ following the example set by Epaphroditus. To do so, let us consider his biography, his burden, and his bravery. Let us first consider Epaphroditus' biography. Who is Epaphroditus? Verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you 
Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. John MacArthur notes that Epaphroditus is given five titles. Let's briefly unpack these five titles. The first three titles are introduced by my, which pertain to Epaphroditus' relationship to the apostle himself, brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. Hendrickson and Boyce also note that these three titles are arranged in an ascending scale. Paul calls Epaphroditus my brother. That is, Epaphroditus walked with Paul, not against him. Epaphroditus and Paul love one another and stand together. But Epaphroditus is more than just Paul's brother. Epaphroditus is united with Paul, not only in faith, but also in work. Epaphroditus is a fellow worker. In other words, Epaphroditus shouldered his portion of the load. He got in there, and he went to work for the glory of God. And finally, Epaphroditus is united with Paul not only in faith and in work, but also in battle. He is a fellow soldier, a companion in arms. He's an associate in the spiritual conflicts of the Christian life. Paul and Epaphroditus are shoulder to shoulder fighting against the flesh, the world, and the devil. Ephesians 6 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This was the battle that Epaphroditus and Paul jointly fought. Allow me to share a comment made by Alan Carr on this verse. There is a great need in this day for people who are willing to stand against evil in this world. We need believers who are not afraid to put on the whole armor of Christ and go with him into battle. There is also a great need not to lose sight of who is the real enemy. Your brother or sister in Christ is not the enemy. And you are never justified in attacking another believer. We are too scared to sometimes face evil in this world. But we're too quick to challenge those who profess faith in Christ. In Ephesians 6, 12, Paul tells us clearly who our enemy is. If we're going to fight, let us not fight against the devil and his deeds, not against brothers and sisters. The final two titles in verse 25 pertain to the relationship to the Philippian church and are introduced by your. Epaphroditus had been sent both to bring a gift, that is, be a messenger, and to be a gift, that is, be a minister 
from the Philippians to Paul. Allow me to pause and pass along another observation from Alan Carr. It is easy for Christians to get out of balance. That is, we are prone to focus on one area of our Christian walk to the exclusion of other areas that are just as important. Some people get out of balance in the area of fellowship. Everything is about being with their group and having a good time. For others, it is evangelism. Everything is about bringing people to Jesus, but ignoring spiritual development, discipleship, and growth. Unfortunately, for some, it's legalism. They are so concerned about keeping things in line with their idea of how things ought to be that they set themselves up as spiritual detectives who investigate and correct the motives and actions of others. When a Christian or a church, for that matter, gets out of balance, they bring reproach upon the name of Christ. They are like a wobbly tire on an automobile. Brothers and sisters, Epaphroditus wasn't like that. He was balanced in his walk with the Lord as with others. That is Epaphroditus' biography. Let us now consider Epaphroditus' burden. Verse 26. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Notice in verse 26, that Epaphroditus did not seem to be nearly so concerned about his own illness as that might become the cause of sorrow amongst the Philippians. That is, his focus was not on himself. His focus was on his brother and sisters in Christ at Philippi. What a lesson for us in this room. How many of us can see no further than the end of our noses? We are so caught up in what is happening to us that we are unable to see the needs around us. We know that we are maturing in Christ when your first thought is not about how something affects us, but our primary concern is about how it might affect someone else. Epaphroditus was a living, breathing commentary on Philippians 2.4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Epaphroditus was the essence of Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
Epaphroditus models what we ought to be. Notice in verse 27 that Epaphroditus was ill to the point of death. What was the nature of Epaphroditus' illness? What was, was the illness the result of overexertion? Had he been trying to do too much? Many guesses have been made, but all that is really known is that his illness was in connection with the work of the Lord, and more specifically, in connection with his loving attendance upon and assistance to Paul. Had God not shown mercy on Epaphroditus, he would have died. But then, in answer to many people's prayers, Epaphroditus was graciously restored to health. Now, some may be thinking in this room, why, why did not Paul, by some means of a miracle or by prayer, prevent this illness? He could have healed Epaphroditus quickly. He should never have gotten to this grave situation. The answer must be that even in that charismatic era, the apostles could not perform miracles whenever they fell. Their will was subject to God's will. Notice in verse 28, Epaphroditus' return to Philippi was Paul's idea and at Paul's initiative. Why did Paul want to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi? It was in order that he might be less anxious Given what he said earlier in the book of Philippians, we might want to have a sermon on this. How can you not be anxious, but now he's going to be less anxious? But that's a different discussion, different topic. Paul knew that his sacrificial loss would be their gain. But their happiness in having Epaphroditus back in their fellowship would also bring Paul relief. That is, the joy of the Philippians upon the healthy return of Epaphroditus would make Paul's burden lighter. That is Epaphroditus's, and we might want to say Paul's burden. Let us now consider Epaphroditus's bravery. Verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Notice three aspects of Epaphroditus' bravery. First, Epaphroditus' bravery is precious. Verse 29 tells the Philippian believers to honor Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was to be prized and considered precious. Why? Because people like him are rare and of great value. Do you know what New Life Baptist Church needs? Not money, not prestige, not influence. What we need are men, women, and young people who will commit themselves to put everything on the line for Jesus and who will hold nothing back. Second, 
Notice that Epaphroditus' bravery required service. In the days of the New Testament, one took a considerable risk in becoming involved in the life of a prisoner who was awaiting charges on a capital, say trial on capital charges. This is because the advocate could easily be indicted on the same charges of the person that they were caring for. As such, Paul characterized Epaphroditus' service as being selfless, one with the mind of Christ who esteemed others better than himself. Epaphroditus demonstrated this selflessness by volunteering to go to Rome and to help out the Apostle Paul in his time of need. When we consider the Christian life, do we ask ourselves, what's in it for me? Or do we ask ourselves, how can I be of service to others? Epaphroditus sought to serve other people. Sadly, for many, service hinges on convenience. Even simple, easy things like getting to church is too much for some people. Who among us has a heart like Epaphroditus? Who has a heart to see people saved and the work of God done in this world, regardless of the personal cost? Pause a second and look around this congregation and ask yourself, who needs my ministry? Who needs to be befriended? Who needs to be helped? Don't wait for the pastors and deacons to do that. The pastors and deacons should be examples of that, and we want you to hold us accountable. But don't expect pastors and deacons to do your job for you. If you are a member of this church, doing the work of ministry is your job. Paul wrote in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4, and he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Third, Epaphroditus' bravery required sacrifice. The Greek word, which is a participial form, literally means to throw aside, to hazard one's life. It is actually a gambling term, meaning to stake everything you've got on one roll of the dice. Okay, young people, help me out. How many of you have played Yahtzee? All right, got some hands up here. What do you yell when all five dice are the exact same number? Yahtzee. I heard it. That's right. Now, how many of you would risk or gamble putting your old bike up here and you risk losing this old bike for this incredible new bike. 
or this crummy old phone that's the third or fourth user for this brand new Samsung Galaxy or iPhone? How many of you have gotten that pass me down old car who would potentially trade that old car for this brand new car of your choice if you had to roll an instant Yahtzee? I think while the odds are different, that's a practical example of what the Greek word for risking means. Paul states that if Paphroditus voluntarily hazarded his own welfare and exposed himself to danger with total disregard for his own welfare. I was talking to Tim right before this. William Barclay noted that soon after the New Testament times, a group of Christians banded together in an association called the Parabolani, which means the gamblers, taking Epaphroditus as their model. They visited prisoners, ministered to the sick, especially those with dangerous communic communicable diseases when no one else would help. They would help those ravaged by illness and they would bury the dead bodies of those taken by illness. Others would not do this. But these believers, inspired by the selfless service of Epaphroditus, willingly placed their lives on the line for Jesus. Isaac Watts eloquently expressed what may have been the motivation for Epaphroditus' gambling habit when he penned the last verse of his famous hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. We did this about a month ago. You can join me, or I'll have to sing a solo. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, events my soul, my life, my all. That is Epaphroditus' bravery. In conclusion, I want to loop back to my indoctrination, to introduction, <laughs> where I stated that many, that Christianity for many involves no commitment, no cause, and no courage. God is looking for a Christian walk that involves a commitment. Epaphroditus was willing and faithful messenger for Philippi who traveled 800 miles, which was an approximately six-week trip, to deliver their support and to minister to Paul. That is, he was going to do whatever was necessary to serve Paul in the work of Christ. Epaphroditus didn't quit. He didn't give up. He didn't stop. He didn't call in sick. 
He didn't forsake his responsibilities, even when it meant he might die. Brothers and sisters, some people are really great starters. They say, yay, I'm going to go. But they never finish. They quit ministry because it becomes inconvenient, expensive, or requires too much effort. I ask, are you committed to taking risks for Christ? God is looking for a Christian walk that involves a cause. Epaphroditus was a man of action who put the cause of Christ before personal comfort. The fact is, ministry always costs. There is always a price tag. We need to stop being passive. We need to take responsibility. We need to make sacrifices. Is the cause of Christ more important than your own personal comfort? God is looking for a Christian walk that involves courage. Epaphroditus was God's gambler. Epaphroditus showed a total disregard for his own welfare. He gambled everything for the gospel. The whole goal for some in life is to become secure. God is looking for people of courage who put service before security. Isn't there more to this life than being safe and comfortable? Do you have such courage? But this appeal for a Christian walk that involves commitment, cause, and courage begs several questions I have failed to answer. Is risk-taking a godly attribute? This is because some of you are saying, Godly people don't take risks. Au contraire. God is looking for believers who are willing to risk for the kingdom of God and to serve God with reckless abandonment. Mark 8.35, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. Risk takers are used of the Spirit to change the world and to impact others for Christ. And if risk taking is a godly attribute, what does risk taking look like? It may mean taking a job in a secular profession where it's hard because the people around you don't love Christ, than to safely take a job in a nonprofit or to go into vocational ministry where you're surrounded by Christians. It may mean taking a, leaving a lucrative secular job to pursue vocational ministry where income is not so secure or lucrative. It may mean living in a poorer neighborhood with greater crime and crummier schools like the Forbes do in San Benito. It may mean taking a job in a closed country where you run the risk of being kicked out. 
It may mean opening up your home to others in hospitality or to those who don't know Christ on a regular basis. It may mean sending your children or your grandchildren to the mission field. Or it may simply mean a willingness to put your life in harm's way for the sake of the gospel. Now, some of you are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, I heard what you just said. Are you telling me that I need to place my family, my children at risk? Are you telling me that I may have to serve Christ in a manner that means access to quality medical care? Schooling is sparse. And the answer is yes. The question is not whether we need to place our family at risk. The question is, is what are you doing now to prepare them to take on those risks? Helicopter parenting is not going to work if you want to grow your children up to be risk takers. Brothers and sisters, even though the Christian lifestyle entails much risk, it is not a gamble. When you throw down your life for Jesus, you are not gambling away in a game of chance. Our God is a sovereign God. He will take your sacrifice of love and service and he will bless it for his glory and your eternal good. And in exchange for that risk, he will give you treasure in heaven. Let us pray. Father, this is a very difficult sermon and has been such a challenge for me. It is so hypocritical to challenge others to take risks when you are willing to take risks in certain areas of your life, but to hold closely another area of your life where you will not take risks. Lord, this sermon was directed at believers. But there may be many in this room that do not know Jesus Christ. And they may be looking to say, is that what Christ is calling us to do? I might not want to have anything to do with that type of Christ. But for those who don't know Jesus Christ, recognize that you are lost in your sin and that the only hope you have for a future is to embrace the fact that you are a sinner, that Christ died on the cross for your sins and that by placing your faith in his completed work, you may have eternal life. And why that may be of value if the proposition before you was not all that attractive, the trials and tribulations of this world are but fleeting and they pass in a moment. 
eternity with you goes on forever. Father, I pray for the parents in this room, particularly those who want to protect their kids from everything. May you challenge them to become less protective and more intentional in preparing their kids for the hostile world that they will be facing. I pray for those who are making career decisions. May they, like me, be willing to take on risks knowing that there is treasure yet to be had in heaven because the treasures of this world are fleeting and will bring no joy. And I pray for those who are naturally fearful, who aren't wanting to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with their co-workers, with their neighbors, with their athletic team co-members or teammates. May we be willing to pass along the only truth that matters in much like how Epaphroditus was willing to serve even if it meant rejection, illness, or death. May that be our heart. May we lean upon you and your spirit for the strength and wisdom to be a risk taker for Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from New Life Baptist Church in College Station, Texas. For more information or to support our ministry, visit us online at newlifecs.net.